Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hi, this is Kathy Grace. I'm joined by Kenya Wolf, and this is Ed's Up. We're glad that you've joined us today, and we're so excited to have Dr. Bonnie Zucker, who is an expert in anxiety disorders in children. And she's just written a book, Anxiety-Free Kids, an Interactive Guide for Parents and Kids. And in this book, she really gives some good approaches for parents to use and also helps to educate parents more about trauma and particularly now with us trying to recover from the COVID pandemic, uh, there are new challenges, unfortunately, that many families may have to face uh, as children begin to re-enter the new normal. Dr. Wolf is going to start off with questions. And Bonnie, we're so glad again that you're here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Great. Well, this is so timely. I was just meeting with a group of uh, preschool center directors yesterday, and they were sharing with me that they are seeing anxiety in children at just much younger ages than they've ever seen before. And they suspected that it may be related to the pandemic. Are you hearing and seeing this as well? Um, Yeah. So there's, I sort of have two um, parts to answer that question. Um, So pre-pandemic anxiety disorders are the most common form of psychopathology in children, adolescents, and adults. So um, when you look at the research, it's anywhere from about 20 to 32% of children and teens uh, will meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder at some point. So before the pandemic, we had really a crisis, if you will, um, with with the number of um, children and teenagers suffering with anxiety disorders that have been unidentified. So in this pandemic, I think there are more, naturally more anxiety conditions developing because there's so much stress in the environment. There's been so much uncertainty, such a disruption to the routines that help kids feel normal, help their day-to-day experiences feel normal. Um, so I think that there is more anxiety. And then on top of that, I, I, and I would say this is a silver lining. I always feel badly identifying anything as a silver lining in COVID when we've experienced such tremendous loss of life and of uh, finances, everything. Um, but mental health has been a topic now more than ever. And families are so much more attuned. Schools are so much more attuned to the mental health experiences of children that I think we're going to be better able to identify these anxiety disorders that were missed because we're able to have the conversation, we're looking for it, and we're talking to our kids about it. And we're getting better at having these conversations that we should be looking at mental health in the way we look at physical health, which we often don't. Well, we're right now in a recovery mode in Mississippi, as most of the country is, but we have suffered mightily in our state with regard to deaths of family members. And across the country, we have hundreds of thousands of people who have lost their lives. What are some ideas or some suggestions you would have for parents or teachers in talking with young children about someone in the household where a death 
of a family member has occurred or a class member uh, or the parent of a class member, uh, because it's, it's such a difficult topic in the first place to talk yeah. about with young children, death, and what does that mean and the finality and so forth. But uh, we now are having to have conversations that people probably never thought they'd have to have with six-year-olds or seven-year-olds about right. people who were not necessarily older people who passed away. And it, it's, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, it's, this is, when I look at the numbers, it's, it feels unthinkable. And um, of course, what we want to do is we want to help children have um, the language around this. And um, your question is, is, is so smart because the developmental understanding of the child really matters. Um, so for example, a two or three-year-old child is going to have a vastly different understanding in terms of the, uh, irreversibility of death than say a six or seven-year-old child who can start to grasp that. Um, and the languaging that parents use and, and teachers and family members, um, benefits the child in terms of under helping them understand. So when you look at stages of grief for children, the first stage is actually understanding. And I've personally worked with a family where the, the child said, I, we don't know exactly how grandma died. I've gotten mixed messages. Some people have said it's from COVID and some people have said it's because she had something else wrong with her. And we couldn't, right? I mean, it was so clear that, the, that this girl wanted to know how her grandmother passed away. And she's getting conflicting messages because the belief system of different family members was, well, she had COVID, but that's not why she died. Or, well, she would have died or she wouldn't have died or she died from COVID. And in fact, the understanding is so important for kids. And then once they grasp the understanding, we can have conversations with them about, you know, the body dies, the body ends, but the love that our loved one had for us, that will never die. And you can still talk to that person. You can write them letters. You can make drawings for them. Um, I'm a big fan of commemorating um, the, those that we've lost. My mother died um, suddenly when she was 64 and I had a two-year-old and I actually wrote a book for two and three-year-olds because I was so disappointed at the time that there was not a book for little kids, two and three who had such a hard time understanding and, and didn't want sophisticated language, just wanted to know the body stops working. They can't eat anymore, but the love part never goes away. And as the child gets older, I've worked with a lot of kids where they say, well, this was my, you know, if they lost their dad, this was my dad's birthday and we're not really talking about him. I'm like, well, what should we do? And they're like, I want to have a cake for him. You know, and then I've had to work with families to say, let's get a cake. I get, you know, we get cake when it's my grandma's birthday, even though grandma hasn't been here for 11 years, we eat cake. We actually eat broccoli and cake because she was really healthy, but also like chocolate. But so my kids who didn't unfortunately get to know her much, right. Uh, get that flavor of the loved one. So we want to keep the people that we've lost. We want to lean into this conversation around what were they like? What would they have said in this situation? And so often, and, and you're so right, Kathy, that people do not feel comfortable talking about death. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to comfort someone. And sometimes just being authentic and saying, I wish I had the right words to say, but you know, I, I don't know what to say. I just want to let you know, I care so much. 
is, is often the perfect thing to say. And I've had to work with some of my kids that I work with on comforting their friends. And they say, well, I, I don't want to bring it up, but I don't want to ignore it. I'm like, exactly. You, you can't ignore it. <laughs> you have to bring it up, but you don't bring it up too much, but you, you know, you give them the right messaging that I'm here for you, you know. Hmm, that's beautiful. Well, I know death is maybe, you know, one of the most major uh, experiences that could trigger anxiety, but certainly there are other factors with this pandemic. And um, it's hard as parents to know what's normal anxiety behavior um, versus when we need to actually get some, maybe some professional help or some other kind of support. So what are some signs that you see in young children um, that maybe need to alert parents that they need to get that help? That's a great question. Um, So transient or temporary symptoms are, are to be expected when you're dealing with an environmental stress. So big changes to the routines um, really does create stress for kids, right? All those many uh, months of no school was not great. Um, for, for most children. Um, and what we look for are, thing, are, are symptoms that last longer than um, we would, longer than temporary. So uh, ongoing symptoms. Um, so some regression, like suddenly a child who, you know, was, was able to sleep on their own, um, all of a sudden they want to sleep with you, right? So going through that for a couple of months, no problem. Then we make some attempts to get them back in the bed, the kids who can adjust, that's fine. The ones who really can't, who have an ongoing interference, uh, then it's time for professional help. That's the, the the best way to answer this is when there is an interference, when there's an impairment of some kind on the child's life uh, routine, they can't sleep well, they're not eating the right way, their academics are being Im- impaired, or they're making negative comments about themselves, um, saying um, you know self-critical statements, um, things like that require professional help. And, and we always err on the side of getting someone the support, extra support. Um, you know, it's a really good situation to say, I've met with your child a couple of times. They're good. Uh, you, you know, you, you didn't, I'm here if you need me, but you don't actually need me. You know, that's, that's not a, a bad thing. With the school year last year being a non-traditional year in many places, there was a lot of virtual learning where the child may have been at home and the parent was present or not, uh, depending on the age of the child. Uh, But teachers have indicated to me that they have learned more about families through last year's attempts at how they were instructing the children. Mm -hmm. But they've also become, uh, parents have become somewhat, well, teachers, excuse me, teachers have become somewhat concerned about some of the things they saw in the home. Uh, that they would sure. not have normally seen it had it been more of a traditional approach. Uh, and with regard to that, how how would you advise teachers uh, who are not saying that the child is being abused, that they shouldn't be a report to the Department of Human Services or Child Protective Services, but that there are stressors at home that they now recognize, uh, and even if the child's not in their classroom, this year now, maybe their brother is or another family member is. How would you advise teachers to go about uh, 
in trying to help the child at school uh, and then also maybe perhaps give some uh, smart tips for the teachers to use with parents if they have parent conferences? That's a great question. Um, You know, I definitely, and and a lot has fallen on teachers, right? I mean, they've been given this window into families and, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous burden because, you know, teachers and school counselors, and oftentimes there's like one school counselor, you know, what really want to help. I'm a big fan of disarming strategies. So if I'm approaching a parent who I don't have a therapeutic relationship with, um, you know, it's much easier when you're doing therapy because they're signing up to hear your advice. Um, but when it's a, a the role of a teacher or a school counselor where they're coming to the parent, um, a disarming strategy might be something like, you know, I want to compliment you because I know how much you care about your child. I know what a what a vested invested parent you are. Um, one of the things, you know, I have noticed that your son or your daughter has expressed is that sometimes there's a lot of, you know, like so many homes, right. Um, yelling in the house, for example, if that's the issue. And, um, I've found it interesting that, you know, brain development is actually impacted by yelling and screaming in the house and even infants. And, um, I, you know, I just want, I just want your child's learning environment to be as, as positive as possible. And I'm, I'm not telling you what to do kind of thing, but I want to alert you, you know, that your child has expressed that there's a lot of yelling that makes it hard for them to concentrate, you know, so sort of being trans being assertive with it, but starting out with saying, um, you know, I know how much you care and it's because you care so much that I feel like I can share this with you Um, because we get a lot of defensive parents, unfortunately. Um, And if we're, if we're telling them they're messing up, you know, then they could say, thank you. I I don't, you know, I don't need to hear that. So we try to start out with a positive. Well, one other related question, and this has to do with uh, instability in the home with regard to economics. Yes. People have lost their jobs or they have had to go back to work at a lesser pay job or their work schedules have changed, which are not necessarily advantageous to uh, parenting. Uh, There may have been now people who normally weren't in care positions of children that they've had to hire and so forth. Uh, How have you seen that manifest itself or in terms of preparing parents, if, if if a parent comes to a teacher and says, well, I need to tell you, I've had to switch to nights. So I just want you to know that there may be some differences with Kathy's behavior or whatever, if they're, yeah. if they're attuned enough to know that. Yeah. So, you know, what, what would be some things for teachers to be able to sort of pick up on, or at least to, you know, send home to parents to say, you know, should there be any changes in your child's routine, such as blah, 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 blah. Please let us know. This will help us to better uh, be able to understand your child at school or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, I think it'd be great if the, if the teacher knows that there's been that change for the teacher then to talk about that with the child, even if it's just acknowledging, right? Kids really crave mirroring. They want other people to see them. They want other people to know their experience. It's, it's actually part of how we develop our sense of self. So if the teacher could say, by the way, you know, mom or dad reached out to me that um, they've, they've had to switch their work schedule. I bet that's been a big adjustment for you. And I just want to let you know, I know that that's been happening for you. Even that alone 
is it like a gift for the child? Um, and then what we have to do is we have to let parents know um, that when routines change, um, we want kids, we want to tell kids what's happening. We want them to have predictability. Even if it's an unpredictable schedule, we want to create some predictability. And we really need to prioritize one-on-one time with kids. So, um, you know, overwhelming, overwhelmed parents don't like to hear from me that I want them to have, you know, a 30 to 60 minute one-on-one moment with their child every week. It sometimes can feel simply like too much, right? Where some parents, they, they're able to do that every day. Um, others are really so stressed and exhausted and my goodness, this has been going on for so long. And, and the recovery financially is just so, so painful for so many families. Um, but if we can make it feel like it's, it's something they can do. So, Hey, can you have a 20 minute breakfast, a little one-on-one you make some muffins, takes 10 minutes to make muffins. You sit down, you eat your muffins and you just check in with your child. The parents who take my suggestions on these one-on-one times, no one's ever regretted it. They come back and they say, my goodness, the tw- our 25 minute muffin or 20 minute muffin breakfast, I f- was just as, as, as equally as satisfying for me. So we do need to give them these little strategies and kids do best when they know I'm going to get a story at night or I'm going to get a five minute cuddle at night, but it's really helping them know what to expect. Remember uncertainty and doubt breeds anxiety. So if we can help kids have some degree of certainty, they're going to be less anxious from that alone. Well, I love this idea of the 20 minute muffin uh, (laughs) date. Um, Are there other ideas that are maybe simple ways that parents can help children de-stress and then it maybe in turn de-stress themselves? Absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of apps. Um, My favorite app, which is a free app, is called Insight Timer, like I-N-S-I-G-H-T. They have tracks for adults, tracks for kids. I myself use this with my children. Um, there's so many wonderful tracks, um, a really good one by Tom Evans, by, by the way, I have two boys, 13 and eight, and they call him honey Evans because his voice sounds like honey. Um, and when we've had trouble falling asleep. All I have to do is play Tom Evans. Um, how it, it's something called like a little bit of calm or, or something like this, uh, Tom Evans, uh, they will hear his voice and their eyes start to close and we cuddle up and legitimately it's like 10 to 15 minutes and they're relaxed and I'm relaxed. So a lot of times we do family relaxation and there are tracks that are five minutes long. And I've had parents say, I don't have more than five minutes. I'm like, oh, good. There's a track that's five minutes. Mary Maddox has a five minute long, simple relaxation, but it's finding a voice that everyone likes and it's using the same one um, because then that becomes associated with calmness. Um, so I really do that. And I've had some parents um, where their kids are like, no, I'm okay. I can go right to sleep. And the parents are saying, no, no, we need to do the relaxation. <laughs> it's because they need it too. Um, so that, and sometimes a walk going on a little evening walk, uh, which is really when I, when I do that at home, when I'm like, come on guys, let's go for a walk. They're like, it's nine 30. I'm like, that's okay. We'll just walk for five minutes. It, it resets everyone. And then when we come back in, we just get to bed faster and better. 
Well, you certainly have given us a lot to think about and a lot of, of really practical, good information that I think teachers and parents will, will both benefit from. I will remind everybody that you have authored a book, Anxiety-Free Kids, an interactive guide for parents and kids, and folks can pick that up at Amazon. But before uh, we leave, I do want to ask you one question around the holidays in terms of holidays are coming up. These are going to be different in some homes. There'll be some folks who won't be there uh, that normally are. So do you have any tips or thoughts for families as they plan for and go through holidays uh, that will maybe help the situation uh, as depending on the age of the child, of course, but to, to make the holidays as, as stressless as possible? It's, it's a great question. I think it's a balance of acknowledging the loved one we've lost and giving permission to have fun and enjoy because that's what our loved one would want. So it's sort of like, let's take a moment and light a candle, right? Let's take a moment and put a little picture and, you know, um, let's give, let's kiss the picture and let's say something really nice. And then let's go on with our evening. Um, because sometimes like I had this family, they, they left a place setting for one of the family members that, um, had passed at, at, um, at a holiday that they were celebrating. And it was really upsetting for the kid I was working with. Like it was just too, much to have that missing. It was too, um, he just felt too much having that missing seat, you know? And so we have to ask kids, Hey, what are your ideas? Because I don't want to overwhelm you, but I also want to make sure we're acknowledging the one that we're, we're missing. What feels right to you? And this is usually so helpful for kids because a lot of times kids are told what to do, right? They go through their whole day being told what to do. And when we give choices, it automatically reduces stress. As soon as I've given you, hey, there are like three or four ideas I have. First of all, do you have any ideas? And if they don't, okay, here are some of the ones I was thinking of. Which feels the best to you that we can try out? You know, so it's really like striking that right balance. Um, you know, and, and kids are really resilient. I mean, I'm amazed at, at, I love children and I really love their resilience, um, and their ability to bounce back from these obstacles. Um, and remember kids are far more comfortable talking about death than, than us adults. Um, so sometimes we get a lot. I found many parents have found it healing, uh, to see that their children have been so expressive. So we just want to create the environment for that. Well, you've given us some more good suggestions, and I do thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, maybe in a year, we can revisit you and see Anytime. how we're all getting along a year from now. So, Anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, again, this is Kathy Grace and Kenya Wolf. Thank you again, Bonnie. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.